is all about therapy. Well, how does that make you feel? <laughs> um, we're going to be charging you to listen to this episode. So if you stop listening, you'll be subject to extreme cancellation fees. The very extreme cancellation fees. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be a box of tissues next to you. So be prepared. Um, and now let's just like jump in right into our daddy and mommy issues and trauma. Shall we? <laughs> So um, much to talk about. So much to talk about. I'm so excited. Um, mm-hmm. Jade. Yes. <laughs> what's making <laughs> you uncomfortable recently? Who did you make? Uh, Do you have well, a rant? You know, I feel like when Halloween comes and goes, mm-hmm. and you're excited that it's one time of the year where people are willing to give you something without expecting other things in return. And say you get this pleasantly decorated little Halloween bag of treats for your children at school and you think, oh, that is so nice of this little kid and their parents to prepare this little treat bag. And then you open it up and it's the usual jack-o'-lanterns, witches, bats, But now, across these images that usually bring joy and sugar rushes to my cold, dead heart, are Bible verses. And things (laughs) saying that (laughs) this is not the season for Satanism, but for God. (laughs) And I go, damn, why'd you gotta fool me that way? And that just makes me uncomfortable because it makes me feel pretty judged. Like, I just wanted some free almond joys. I wasn't about the devil or anything. You know, so it was just kind of hurtful. Yeah, that's I'm a more, real bummer. Yeah, I'm already struggling with this feeling that everybody hates me. And now Jesus is mad, too. Just because I had a jack-o'-lantern. It's like the pumpkins are, like, digging the insides out of a living thing. What's making you uncomfortable, Laura? <laughs> um, I mentioned to Jade earlier, but I've been crying a lot more. And that's been a weird. Hilarious. Uncomfortable feeling. A little, like a bit of a foreign feeling. Because I haven't been able to do that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it just kind of, like I, a song came on. And mind you, I had already like started crying previously so it was like residual ones but mm. i was like sobbing and my <laughs> car listening to a song and it wasn't even particularly sad it, like the music just hit me <laughs> in that moment what was the and song i don't even remember like oh, it was, no i don't even remember i just like remember just like 
I'm crying. That was last night. Um. <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah, okay. so, so I've just you, been... Oh, go ahead. When you cry, I've only seen you tear up maybe once or twice, and it was very unsettling, very out of yeah. the ordinary. But when you cry, a full-on sob, what is the most uncomfortable part of the way that you cry? Because, you know, some people are like the chest heaving sob. Some people is just like rivulets of snot running. Like, what is it about crying that's physically uncomfortable for you? Um, I just think the pressure um, in my eyes I get like a headache and then but that nap afterwards or that sleep it just is Mm. so good yeah because it's so exhausting to cry yeah um I always get a stuffy nose too whenever I do it Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of hard to breathe and then you start thinking like oh my gosh maybe I'm dying or maybe I deserve to die and then how it feels yeah yeah you Mm -hmm. just see me so we belong together was there anything recently that surprised you in making you cry I know you said the song that wasn't particularly sad but was there a topic or something that you didn't realize you had tears for um I guess we're jumping the gun here but like literally in my first session of therapy I like started crying and like I knew it was a topic that like I knew was an issue but I didn't realize how much it was like affecting me Mm -hmm. and so when I was able to talk about it like immediately tears like was like streaming down my face and I couldn't control it Mm -hmm. and I had never said anything like that out loud I've always said it like to myself but like never out loud and so I think saying things out loud and making it real has been um a trigger for my crying that makes sense like your body's telling you that it's been carrying all this around you know and you haven't been able to say it Mm -hmm. do you ever try to make things real by saying them in other ways like jason momoa wants to have sex with me jason (laughs) momoa no never that i actually never say things out loud I am very much a person that lives within (laughs) these confines of my skin. (laughs) Could you have a podcast then? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So since we're talking about therapy today and sharing all of our uncomfortable experiences with it, um, before this therapy capital T happened to you was done unto you (laughs) to make you cry. How did you feel about therapy and like, what made you decide to start the whole process? Um, my thoughts before, like I always said, like, yeah, everyone should go to therapy. It's like really beneficial. And then I would like never do it. Because I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, nothing is that wrong with me. Like, there's so many other people that could benefit from it. Um, but actually, it was Tuba um, who said, like, Jade's been going to therapy for years, and she's still, like, her. 
you know, like she hasn't lost who she is to her core, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that was my biggest fear was like, I actually like the person that I am because of all the things that I've been through and Mm -hmm. all of my life experiences. So if I heal like those things, what am I? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I have left? Yeah. Um, And so she said that and it kind of like clicked and I was just like, okay. And then also I'm just, I think in this era and space where I really do want to be healthy in every aspect of life, especially my mental. And so I was just more open and susceptible to the idea of it. Well, first of all, shout out to Tubes for being able to recognize a true OG. (laughs) Um, But I think what you bring up is a a real deep-rooted fear, especially when you come from people that so many things have been taken away from us and we've been pressured from all these different angles to be a certain way. So to voluntarily subscribe to a practice and a philosophy where you have to share yourself in an effort to be quote unquote fixed or healed or whatever it makes sense that you would be afraid to lose those parts of yourself that were made through the way you grew up you know culturally even if it's painful like it it gives you certain qualities and sometimes I think we valorize ourselves with strengths that come from pain which is its own kind of Fucked up thinking of like, oh, well, I'm good because I'm hurting, you know. Um, But yeah, I think it makes sense to be afraid to lose yourself to something that feels that it's often practiced in a very white kind of colonial way, too. Mm -hmm. I think that was um, one of my biggest fears going into it, added with like this conspiratorial, (laughs) conspiratorial theory that oh, like therapists are just out to get your secrets and then use them against you or Mm -hmm. file paperwork with some organization that's then going to surveil you and tell you you're wrong and put you in jail or put you on medicine and that's how they control you and they win again. So I had all of that. (laughs) That was very much imposed upon me for, I mean, for good reason because of history and the way the medical industry has worked against us in particular women of color especially but um but I didn't have a choice (laughs) I was gonna ask I was just like why did you start what (laughs) so when I was in junior high school uh we had a journal writing component of our English class for some reason when I was in junior high um we had two periods of English so like we were in that classroom for a long time so I think the teacher was just tired of our, you know, preteen asses making jokes and fucking trying to like dry hump each other in the back of the room, like all of this terrible stuff that you do when you're 12 or 13. Um, and I wrote something in a journal. I don't know what it was, but I got red flagged. <laughs> And I was sent immediately to the school counselor. And one of my friends got sent there too. And he said, he went in before me and he was like, oh, I just told her that everything was okay. And I got to come back to class. So no big deal. Like, you'll be fine. 
And I was like, okay. <laughs> now keep in mind at the time, I literally have like cut up wrists that are bandaged in gauze at the time. And I'm like, I'm going to go in and tell her everything is fine. Don't <laughs> <you> don't worry. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> I go into this session fully prepared to say like, everything's cool. Like, nothing to worry about I just want to go back to class so I can fucking stare and salivate over some boy or whatever and she starts asking me very specific questions about what I wrote about something about family like who I was living with and what was going on in the home and so I felt like I was describing it very surface level this bitch starts to cry I think I just destroyed her career in in one session because she was crying. I wasn't crying. And so I'm like handing her her own tissues. And yeah, so I got a referral to another therapist after that. (laughs) So I didn't know. And have you been in therapy ever since? Did you take breaks? Oh, I took big, long breaks. I had several very negative experiences with therapists. that kind of I guess you could categorize them as the very impersonal kind of therapists who literally had checklists out and were just asking me questions and checking off the list these very diagnostic kind of quantitative assessments and then the ones that did talk to me because I had problems and conflicts I know shocking surprise and so I had to be rotated around and there were ones that I met that would be more willing to talk to me, primarily women. And I, I did actually have an Asian American uh, older woman therapist when I was in my early 20s who would actually like listen and ask questions. But I had grown up learning so well to hold things back and protect other people by not telling the full story. So it was almost like I was playing a game. Like I knew what the therapist wanted to hear. I knew what I needed to say in order to get medication. I knew what I needed to do to get them to sign off on certain things. So I wasn't really being true to myself for the process up until uh, maybe a year and a half ago. And then some like really bad stuff happened in my mind where it was like a do or die situation. And I sought out an Asian American therapist who was my generation, my age, and was also mixed. So knew that without me having to explain stuff. Cause in the past, like with therapists from other backgrounds, I felt like I had to give them this whole cultural history. Like, well, according to Wikipedia, Vietnam is a country in Southeast Asia. The climate is tropical. <laughs> you no, know, it felt very anthropological. And so it was very uncomfortable because it seemed like they would hear things about family dynamics and automatically assume from their cultural bias that, oh, this is abuse. I was like, but you got to understand like culturally. So this therapist understands that and she understands being discriminated against for being mixed from both sides and how all those microaggressions just compound into mental health issues. So I would say even though I started therapy technically when I was 12, I wasn't being honest about what the process is supposed to do for you until I was 39 years old. <laughs> so I'm a slow learner. (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I think it's, it's really important to find a therapist who you feel comfortable with and understands where you're coming from so that there aren't misinterpretations of things and that can lead to misdiagnoses and mistreatments. And I think that's what you were talking about, Allura, of like having someone turn you against yourself. So I think having someone with a background who can can get you a little bit more makes you feel like you're being true to yourself rather than betraying yourself or your culture for the sake of mental health. And I think that's a real fucked up thing in a lot of our cultures is that mental health seems like a divergence from the cultural tradition. So now you got to choose. Do I choose my culture or do I choose not killing myself? And why can't those two things be, be the same thing? So trying to untangle the cultural traditions from trauma and health and things like that was really hard for me. Is still really hard for me, mm-hmm. but getting better. So how did you choose your therapist? Like what were you looking for? Because I know you're really into serial killers. And so you understand the process of finding the right traits of your next victim. So how did you decide the therapist would be your next victim? Um. Yeah, so I definitely wanted, like you were saying, I wanted someone that was of a similar background um, to me. So I filtered through like Asian and Pacific Islander, like female therapists, because I really needed a woman. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Um, yeah, and I think those were all the filters. And then like, they had like a short little like bio or something for each therapist and then like their specializations and all of that stuff. So I was like going through all of them and the one that I found um, she mentioned something and it was just like, is you're like new to therapy or you've um, experienced like life transitions um, or, you know, just she was hitting all of the points mm-hmm. of like my personal um, experience and like what I was like looking for. So I felt like I gravitated towards her um, immediately and like all her specializations kind of hit onto things that I also wanted to work on. And so I was just like, all right. And so ever since then I love her and I just want her to love me back. (laughs) So it was a healthy impulse with a doctor. Just love me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is hard. Do you find yourself trying to seek her approval? Oh, I want to make her laugh um, Mm -hmm. the entire time. And I think she finds me funny, but also she's getting paid. So that is also like triggering my trust issues a little bit. Like, do you really find me funny? Like, or she just has a laugh track button. (laughs) Or like, you know, I'm like, are you really just like, why can't we be besties? (laughs) Like, what are you doing later? (laughs) I'm sure she loves you, though. You're probably, like, her favorite client of the day. See, that's my goal. Like, I want to be her favorite, like, appointment of the day. Like, I want her to look forward to our appointments Mm -hmm. just as much as I'm looking forward to our appointments. I bet bet you do that for her. But even if you didn't, that shouldn't matter. 
that's what, what it does. therapy is actually. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I'm always trying to make my therapist laugh too, especially does when we get though? what does she laugh though? She does. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so here's <laughs> the thing about my therapist. She laughs, but she is a disgustingly beautiful person. Like physically beautiful. That's irritating. It's like a Olivia Munn status. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. So this is really hard for me because I've always felt hideous. <laughs> and I've been told many times that I am hideous. So, you know, like all the appointments are on Zoom. So I can, I have to mute my face because looking at my face next to her face mm-hmm. is like some kind of fucking April Fool's joke. Like it's, Oh, you think mixing Asian and white is going to be pretty? Well, look at this fucking range of outcomes. It is just demoralizing. So when she laughs, when I'm able to make her laugh, which is like all the time, humble brag. She has just like this beautiful smile. You know, the teeth are perfect. And she just kind of does a, (laughs) you know, like a bitch. (laughs) It's just like an, a naturally just this beautiful thing. And I'm just like, oh, man. It's very triggering. But I do also seek her approval. I think probably even more so because she's very beautiful. And so I aspire to be her. But I also yeah. wish I was with her. Like, she's just <laughs> is so, so pretty. Yeah, I she she was like, oh, I might be able to open up in person appointments again soon, and I was like, mm, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Especially because she practices these somatic exercises, because she says, you know, as Asian Americans, this talk therapy thing is not going to work well for us culturally. Like it's just not. There's a wall that we hit, so we have to like tap back into ancestral practices mm-hmm. and like focus on the moment and the body and these meditative things and. I have a lot of uh, nervous system issues, <laughs> to say the least, while I'm, like, pulling at my shirt right now. We should YouTube an episode. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, but I have, I, she notices, like, when my neck starts to hurt or my throat starts to close up when we talk about serious things or I just feel like I'm going to puke all over the keyboard when she brings up certain things from my past. And so she has me do these somatic exercises to try and re-regulate or regulate for the first time my nervous system that's been fucked since I was a little, little kid. So I imagine being in person in a room with this beautiful unicorn of an Asian American. And I'm just like, I could not even like fucking put my hand to my chest in front of you. I would be so insecure. I would just like crumble into dirt. So we're sticking on Zoom for now. Yeah. I like the Zoom sessions as well. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it, like it's a barrier mm-hmm. already with that person. And so I don't have to actually see that, like feel their energy yeah. in person, you know? Like I feel very much protected in the confines of my own space, mm-hmm. sharing and divulging these things because I feel like oh she's not really real like <laughs> yeah. she's just a hologram you know? 
Yeah, no, it is hard. I think too, because you and I, we've been through so many traumatic things. So to survive, we've been able to read people's cues very well. So it makes us hypersensitive to every facial expression or every bodily gesture. So I think it would be very overwhelming to see someone in the flesh reacting to these most intimate details about our lives. It would be overwhelming. And then, oh my God, if she's wearing a dress, forget about it. (laughs) Okay, so say you're in Zoom or let's imagine that for some terrible reason that we have to meet these therapists in person. If you could choose an entrance song, like, you know, Mm -hmm. the way a professional athlete enters the field or the court or the sports room, as I call it, as a true fan, (laughs) what would be your entrance song? Oh, that's such a good question. Thank you. <laughs> so I seek your approval as well. <laughs> um, I don't know why this is popping in my head, but you know the WWE like old. He's <laughs> <laughs> ready to throw down. Like you know, like there. I think it was the Undertaker. Hmm. Just, like, that vibe of just, like, unsettled, like, ampedness, Mm -hmm. I feel would fit my vibe perfectly. You'd be so pumped up going in there. I'm already pumped up. Like, it's literally the highlight of my day. (laughs) But I just feel, like, to satisfy, like, my love for creepiness and just over dramatics. That would be just perfect for me. Mm. I like that. That's very yeah. heroic, I think, too. Because then also, like, my therapist can be just, like, a little unsettled, too. Ooh, yeah. She you can know? her game, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be like, oh, fuck, this is the type of time we're on, you know? <laughs> Who's in charge now, bitch? Literally. <laughs> yeah, I like play. that. I love your power plays. Thanks. What would be your song? Um, Pony by Genuine. <laughs> Tell me you don't like that. That's really iconic. That was probably the perfect answer. Talk about unsettling. <laughs> I just love the way that beat drops. It's really good. There's nothing like it, actually. Yeah. Well, especially, too, because uh, my therapist has picked up on how I will ramble incessantly because I can't I can't ask her questions. And that's how I'm used to interacting with people like, oh, okay, you ask students how they're doing. You ask your kids how you're doing. So it's all about other people all the time. Mm-hmm. So when someone asks me to talk about myself or like when we're doing this podcast, I just start rambling to fill up the time. I'm just like, oh, I'm just like, oh my God, did you read the news? <laughs> you want to try this new recipe for cookies that I found? <laughs> you know, it's like this delirious, just word vomit. And um, I do it in therapy a lot in the beginning because she knows that about me. So she'll stay quiet. Like she won't say anything or she won't ask any questions. And it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. So I think if I entered with Pony playing in the background, it would just add like a nice like little fun element to this uncomfortable rant that I totally. always go on. Yeah. I think you should start that. Mm-hmm. I will. Update what... me with the results. 
She's probably gonna file a report on me or something. <laughs> so what are the most uncomfortable parts of your therapy session? I know you mentioned the crying. What yeah. else really bothers you about the process? Um she like validates my feelings a lot. Gross. And I'm just like, all right, like what do you want me to do with that? Like <laughs> Like, say something mean to me. I respond to that better. <laughs> Tell me how I'm wrong, you know? Um, you know what worries me about that is if, I mean, we all know assholes in the world. What if they go to therapy and their therapist says, no, you're right. Like, yeah. when you're feeling the way you're acting is totally good. Keep doing what you're doing. And that is just a lie. It is a lie. But yeah, I think that's probably my biggest like thing. I'm just like, okay, like I already knew that. Why did you have to say it? <laughs> <laughs> just move on. <laughs> oh my god, it was so funny the other thing. I think so something similar to you making that school counselor cry. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I had like mentioned something about like I remembered a memory and I told her about it. And then in the next session, she was just like, Allura, like, that story you told me has really been on my mind and I couldn't, like, get it out. Like, she was like, it made me really sad and, like, all these things. And I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean (laughs) for that to happen to you. You know, she was like, how do you feel about that? And I was like, well, I thought it was normal. So I really don't feel Mm -hmm. anything towards that. But I'm glad you had some type of (laughs) reaction. I'm sorry to burden you with the most dramatic story. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Like how numb we get to things that just felt normal to us. And then yeah. you get this barometer from the outside world of like, oh, no, that was incredibly abusive or traumatic. And you're like, oh, yeah. whoops. It was really funny. She's been like, do it. Like I'll say, like start like saying stories. And then I see her reactions. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, no, that was really bad. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, oh my goodness, but I'm like, that's so nothing. <laughs> Does it make you feel better to know that those things that you just took as normal or something that you deserve to see that someone is saying, oh, that's bad or that's sad? Yeah, I mean, because like, of course, I think that's been the biggest like thing of therapy for me, like, because I feel like I'm very much introspective and I like to learn more about the way that I'm feeling like internally and so I already like I've already come to Mal like with like hey I have abandonment issues and like I already know I have it because I have this 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 and this like let's talk about it let's come up with strategies to overcome it like all of these things and so she was like Allure you're doing like all of my job and I was like well Mm -hmm. follow along keep (laughs) up (laughs) but I appreciate that she'll give me another perspective or something I Mm. or ask a question that I wouldn't have thought about, you know, and so it's just like outside looking in, because of course, like you can see it from only your point of view, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can try and flesh it out all that, but you need an outside or source to be like, hey, have you thought of this? Or hey, did you see this connection? Because that's... (laughs) that's a straight pathway there and it's like oh I didn't even think of that thank you I know I hate it when like in the last five minutes of the session she's like 
oh, huh, that reminds me of something your mother said to you. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yes, that literally happened. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have a similar thing where I'll just be telling a story and the details that I feel are very inconsequential. She's like, huh, wait, hold on, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my family used to go on vacations without me. <laughs> and she's like, well, why did they leave you out? I'm like, because I'm the ugly one? Like, what is the problem? Let me keep going with my story. And she's like, no, 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 hold on. She's like, do you think that has anything to do with why you always feel left out of every social, uh, you know, thing that's happening in your life? And I'm like, no. <laughs> You're so stupid. I know. <laughs> yeah. What a dumbass comment. <laughs> yeah, but it is um, funny. Like, when growing up, you focus on certain things that you feel are the problems for you. And then telling the story, giving all the exposition to this new listener, they are picking up on all these other continuities that give the whole picture of why you feel the way you feel. And mm-hmm. so it is quite overwhelming sometimes to have that sounding board i i one of the most uncomfortable but also the most effective things that my therapist did to help me see that fuller picture and to understand the things that were traumatic for me even if i didn't recognize it as traumatic she especially early when i started with her she would always say okay can you like take me back to how you were feeling at 4 Now, talk to your four-year-old self. Like, what are you going to tell her as she's going through this moment? And she's like, you know, you have a daughter who's four right now. Like, what would you say to her if she was going through this? And that was highly uncomfortable for me to, uh, like, see myself as this little kid, like, as my daughter almost, and try and console her or heal her through this pain that she was going and is still so young she doesn't even understand or definitely not able to express the pain so that was super super uncomfortable but also very useful because I am used to hating myself and seeing the worst shit like if anybody ever talks shit to me I'm like boom I already said that to myself on Tuesday (laughs) you know so like I am the meanest to myself so to like flip it so that I am now comforting myself and trying to love myself that was so hard to have that positive self-talk or a loving self-talk because I'm just used to Mm -hmm. being hateful toward myself So that was very uncomfortable in therapy for me. Yeah. But like, fuck that little kid, right? (laughs) Have there been any um, surprising things about therapy? Like things you didn't expect to happen or things that you like more than you thought you would? Um... And it's not, like, in the actual sessions. It's just how I am outside. Like, I just feel, like, I was literally at my dad's house yesterday. And I just felt so free and able to, like, actually speak 
how I normally am and actually have conversations with my stepmom or my dad about things that I would have never been able to say to them previously or topics that were absolutely off the table mm-hmm. and to be able to just talk to that, talk to them about so openly and freely about things has mm-hmm. been very interesting. And it's also like, cause I have severe like father like issues. He has mm-hmm. 100% been my number one topic and therapy and all the things. And so just to see how like I am fleshing out all of these things, but where our relationship has been stronger than it's ever been. Oh, you know? cool. and it's just a very interesting thing. Cause I like, I don't blame them at all. Like I can recognize that like, yes, these things have happened, but it's in the past. They're their present selves now. Like they're completely different people and I'm a completely different person. So it's mm-hmm. like we're able to kind of move in that way of just like acknowledging that, yeah, there's like things mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're both like, you know, working through, but it doesn't have to affect and it could get better, you know, in the future. And so that's been a f- interesting experience that I've been living recently Mm -hmm. and even like with my mom I'm able to like talk more freely with her as well and have more conversations and so I feel like it's also my mental space I just don't want to hide anymore and I don't want to I don't because I always feel like I'm a burden. And so I always kept mm-hmm. everything to myself because I didn't want my words and my feelings or whatever to burden the other people. But now I'm just like, I think that's being more, it's hurting me more than it's worth mm-hmm. than to just say the things. Were your family members surprised to learn that you had those feelings? I don't think so. <laughs> I think they always knew, but I've always been just a introvert and a quiet person. Mm -hmm. Like they understood, like they know the things that they've put me through, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think they were expecting it. So I don't think anything's been a shocker. Okay. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because I mean, for as long as I've known you, you've described yourself as silent and holding a lot in and you're you're such an accomplished person like anything you want to do you do it and you do it a thousand times better than anyone I ever know so I think when you have someone who's really high achieving like that it seems and they're quiet too it seems like everything is okay so I'm just glad that now that you feel empowered to share the things that have given you pain, that your family is willing to listen and they acknowledge it. They're not trying to gaslight you or, you know, turn you against yourself or against them and that you have these strengthening bonds with them. That's very heartening to hear. So I'm glad that you're doing that for yourself, you know, because you deserve that that support. Thanks. <laughs> On the contrary, I have fewer relationships. <laughs> well, I think for me, I mean, obviously you and I bond a lot through, I think, feelings that we've had and the ways that we've reacted to them. We have very similar attachment or an attachment oh, style. No. 
Um, but obviously different things have happened to us in different contexts and things like that. Um, I think what I have learned is that um, to, to create a boundary is okay. Because I think with similar to you always repressing my feelings and my needs, I was always in service of other people around me, like real people pleaser, always subordinating myself, disregarding and dismissing myself in favor of someone else, even if that person was hurting me. So that's made me very susceptible to replicating that in abusive relationships, uh, which I learned through therapy too. I didn't think that certain relationships I had in my life were abusive, but they were like from friendships, romantic relationships and, and uh, work relationships as well. Uh, Alerta Marie Cruz. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so learning to set a boundary and being okay with that is a big project that I had because setting a boundary and saying no to certain people in my life has been a real struggle uh, because it means then I have to center myself and say, these are my needs. These are my thresholds. And if you can't respect that, then I need to mark a boundary, even if that means cutting you out of my life. So that is very hard, especially uh, like specifically like ethnically and like that specific cultural heritage goes against that. But also in American discourse about mental health, you know, when you say, oh, uh, I'm not going to speak to this person in my family or this is a boundary I draw with my parent. People always come back with like, well, that's your parent, you know, like you only get one. And so it's almost like this guilt trip is kind of built into how people respond. And it's like, look, that is the hardest decision I've had to make is to draw a boundary with this person that I love above so many other things, including myself. So to come to that decision is really, really hard. And I would not do that unless my safety or my children's safety was threatened. So if I did that, why not you hold back on guilt tripping me <laughs> and respect that? And, you know, bloodlines aren't everything. Like, I feel a lot more protected and understood and cared for by people who are not my blood. So hold, making me hold on to this bloodline seems really superficial in a lot of ways. And I don't think that... <laughs> I'm someone who goes through my life just disrespecting people and lying and like doing all this crazy shit to people. Like that's not me. So why would you assume that I was being shitty to someone I had set a boundary with? Like that is for good reason. And I've overthought it to death. So I think that is something surprising that I never thought I would do or could see happening, but I've had to do it just for, survival purposes for myself and to protect my family and and things like that um so that's been surprising for me i guess mm, yeah do you think i'm a shitty person <laughs> i think you're my favorite person <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But it's hard when, you know, you come to certain realizations that just in general people are not supportive of. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of makes you feel a little more lonely in, in yeah. things. But that said, I, I feel like the relationships that remain, the few that remain <laughs> in my life, <laughs> um, have improved through therapy. I'm better at communicating in a non-angry, explosive way. I grew up in a family and in a house where people were like yelling and throwing knives and hitting each other and lying and manipulating and just out to get one another it was like the fucking hunger games so to break out of that and to just have a conversation without yelling or wanting to get physical like that's been hard too so now I can express myself a little bit better she said stumbling over her words for a podcast (laughs) I think I'm still struggling with that. (laughs) Like if I don't talk for a long time and someone asks me a question, my tone immediately is crazy. Like, (laughs) and so they're just like, Allura, like, why are you yelling? Why are you upset right now? I'm like, I'm genuinely, I'm not. (laughs) I just need to get warmed up a little to be around people. Yeah, I think we can come off cold. Like I took my kid to uh, one of her classmates' birthday parties yesterday. And when people try to make casual chit chat, I find myself getting very irritated because to me, it just seems like bullshit. And maybe I'm the type of person that wants to trauma dump immediately. <laughs> like that's the only that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like let's get to the not irresistible. Um, so when people want to chit chat, I just get kind of exhausted and annoyed by it and I'll check out. I just like dip out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard for me to communicate with new people to make friends with because it feels like it takes so long to actually get to anything substantive or meaningful. I don't want to talk about the weather or, you know, the shorts your kid is wearing. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. So it's just very hard to communicate in those situations. I don't think I will ever have a new friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Allura, the screen is kind of like frozen right now. So it's like showing you touching your hair in slow motion. You look like a shampoo commercial. Oh, thank you. Thanks. It's so weird. It's not it's synced up to be in a shampoo commercial. Yeah, it's not synced up to what you're saying at all, which is really weird. Here, let me put my camera off and back on again. No! Is it better? So, no, now you're oh. pixelated. Okay, well, that's. Let me just. <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> Oh my god, this is just like my nightmares talking Literally. to no one in a dark room. I didn't want to do that to you for too long. Um. <laughs> so, go from here. <laughs> well, we have other questions. How okay. <laughs> this is, I laughed when I wrote this. How many times a session do you mention me? 
provide specific details, please. I think about you a lot. Lies. I do. When do you think of me and what about and why? What for? Um, I just think about you all the time and if you actually love me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but I just admire the person that you are. Gross. In all forms. I'm trying to express how I feel about people more. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I do that with my actions. You know, like I'm more of a like acts of service type person or quality time type person. I'm trying to say I love you more. Trying to just vocalize how much people mean to me more and not sound like cheesy or just that I'm saying it but really letting them know it's hard. I'm very uncomfortable right yeah, now. Yeah, because I feel very fake and I feel <laughs> like everyone just thinks that I don't mean what I say, but I do. Isn't that sad that we've grown up in a way that makes us feel like telling someone we love them feels fake or weird? Yeah. Like I just, cause for me, I'm just like, all right, like what, that those words mean nothing to me like show me with your actions mm-hmm. but people want to hear it yeah it's true it does make a difference because I'm very similar especially in my marriage and my husband likes to hear it and he's very expressive and communicates very well and so he wants to hear I love you more and in the beginning of our marriage, that was really hard because I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I cleaned the house. I did the laundry. I made a meal for you. Like, all these acts of service, I'm showing you that I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't be thinking of you in all these ways and have invested time and energy and effort into them. And he was like, yeah, but (laughs) I love you. And I was like, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Grow up. So it's very hard to make that transition to verbalizing it. Um, but I appreciate that you are putting in the effort. I, it's very it's hard for me to accept hearing it like to, and to accept compliments and things because I always assume, oh, this is bullshit. Like this is some ruse, some like practical joke that Allura and everyone we know is playing on me. Um but I love you too. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was actually so funny the other day. Like I forgot what happened, but I thought Tani was mad at me because, Mm -hmm. Oh, I like, he asked me for something and I was just like, it didn't work out. And so then the next day, just like I noticed his like behavior shift, you know? And then I started like, overanalyzing like what happened and then mm-hmm. I was like looking at old text messages I was like <laughs> consulting with, and I was just like is he mad at me like what is happening like I didn't do anything wrong but then of course I was just like no it's my fault like he's pissed so then eventually I was just like are you mad at me he was like I literally texted you like I loved you in that like, <laughs> like what do you mean and I was like but like <laughs> but really <laughs> behavior was different towards me I could feel an energy (laughs) and he was like that's not a thing (laughs) and I was like oh (laughs) you're just tired and I think it's I think you mentioned it too it's just like you 
when we say people hate us or we think people hate us, mm-hmm. it's very like self-centered thinking, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, he was just stressed or something else happened in his life that had nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. you know, and you yeah. just internalized it to make it about you. Um, and so I've also been trying to work through that too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it comes off like it's self-centered, like, oh, like, why do you think everyone's little action or micro action is about you? But really, I think that need comes from the fact that we had a lot of needs or desires that were unmet or unseen mm-hmm. growing up. So we're seeking to feel that to like be part of it and be seen we're just doing it in the wrong ways and we're only picking up on the negative things that it might be so it just it speaks to this deficit of attention and care that we got more so than us like self-aggrandizing our importance you know yeah so I think it definitely comes from a place of pain and insecurity which by the way I was spiraling about Miss Allura Marie Cruz because I noticed that someone re-followed me on Instagram okay I knew you were gonna talk about that because listen I was going (laughs) when I saw that I was like she deleted me because she hanged out this is what happened I was going through Mm -hmm. like my least followed people so I was just like let me just like clear this up a little bit let me just follow a few people and then you were at the top of like not the least like interacted with list you were just at the top of like my followers in general and so I accidentally like my thumb accidentally hit the unfollow Mm -hmm. button and I was just like Mm -hmm. fuck like She's going to have a notification that I just followed her and she's going (laughs) to be overthinking and smiling. And then you did. (laughs) I was just like, God damn it. And so I was fully expecting like some sort of like screenshot or text message or something. And so I was just like, okay, maybe, maybe she didn't notice. (laughs) Of course I noticed, but I was too paralyzed by pain to do anything. (laughs) But literally... I was just like, this is going to be a thing. <laughs> very hurt. Very, very hurt. <laughs> it was an accident. I, I think, I, I know that those things happen by accident all the time. I've done them myself. But I think uh, in the past two and a half weeks or so, some things have happened that have caused me to get into hypervigilant mode where I'm interpreting every single thing as evidence that someone hates me like the way you went to archival research looking at Tane's text to figure some strand that led to him being angry at you that's what I do daily with about 17 different people in my life and it's just been very sensitive lately so I think that's why I interpreted that that way but it's cool this will be our last episode together so whatever (laughs) (laughs) no I my literal reaction when I did (laughs) saw that I was just like fuck like, I'm gonna have to address this <laughs> it's good content it's good content <laughs> so out, outside of therapy what are you doing that is therapeutic for you oh my gosh so okay um so I was talking to Mal because I was just like it's not necessarily a problem but I can <laughs> It could turn into one, like, really quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's and cocaine. Like, 
I was like, um, my drinking habits and behaviors, you know, and I was just like, because when I'm drinking, I just feel more of like myself. Uh (laughs) I just feel like me. (laughs) Red flag. Yeah. Like I said it and I was just like, fuck. Like she said. And I was just like, because, like, you know, I'm super just overthinking all the time. Also hypervigilant. Like, my nervous system is just constant. Like, I'm tense all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to relax. And so when I'm drinking, it's just like all of that goes away. And I'm able to just, like, be myself and be, like, carefree and, like, not have to overthink every single interaction, every single time I talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was just telling her that. And she was like, well, that makes sense. Like, you're super like hyper aware and like your mind is going 10 million miles a minute all the time your body doesn't have time to relax because it's always like a watchdog and so when you're drinking like it sends signals to your brain like oh you can like end of watch like you're good to go (laughs) like everything's fine she was like what did you do like before you drank like alcohol and I was just like I didn't do anything Mel I've just <laughs> she was like well let's find some activities for you to do mm-hmm. you know that doesn't include that and she was like why don't you like take a bath or do a massage and I was like I hate both of those options a um, bath that's offensive <laughs> gross yeah I was like why am I gonna be swimming in my own like yeah body dirt it's disgusting disgusting. and then like massages people touching me no thank you um so then I was like cooking the other day and I was just like so blissfully happy like I just had the music on like and I realized I was only thinking of the task at hand Uh you know and so then I was just like oh my god like my medium has been cooking like that's been my activity and it like brings me such happiness to make things like make food also to eat them and then also to like have people eat it too like it's killing so many birds with one stone Mm -hmm. you know so I realized that that's been a big epiphany and so so what have you been cooking lately um everything (sighs) I got a cookbook and I was so excited um, but I've been making salmon, I've been making like bowls, a bunch, I've been making steak. Oh my gosh, I made steak the other day with like homemade fries and garlic aioli and I caramelized like onions and mushrooms and Whoa. oh my god, it was delicious. This is like some high class chefery right here. Yeah, I have so many pictures I'll send them to you. I made like a shrimp pasta the other day just for myself. Like it's been amazing. And that's where I'm the happiest. That's good that you have something that keeps you kind of meditative in the moment and gives you focus and is also active service, but it's mm-hmm. also nourishing yourself at the same time. So you don't get depleted from yeah. others. So but a problem with that is that you've never cooked for me, and therefore I am hurt. <laughs> I will cook you your favorite meal. <laughs> you know what? If you decide to do that thing that we talked about before we were recording that to go off of drinking for a month or something, we should record an episode where we just have drinks and get 
completely uninhibited from our anxiety and fear. That'll be so much fun. I would love to do that. Because I feel like if I do an edible or drink one drink, because I'm such a lightweight, that I feel like I am my funniest self. Me too. I'm so much louder. (laughs) (laughs) Can't imagine. (laughs) I was literally at my dad's house last night, just belligerent. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, like all the neighbor, like the whole neighborhood is up. Mm. (laughs) Like if they weren't up before, they're up now. (laughs) That's Allura, free Allura. Free Allura, she's louder. She's Mm. a little bit meaner. (laughs) Which I like. Which is crazy. (laughs) I know, how could it get meaner? (laughs) (laughs) She's she's a bitch. (laughs) Being a bitch is very liberating. Yeah. I tried to, um, so my therapist does a lot of somatic and rehabilitative stuff, especially for people who are athletes, but I have never been an athlete because my mom was always like, you want me to pay money so you can run from a ball? Like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) So I never had any kind of exercise or anything as part of my life whatsoever. It was not practiced or encouraged. So when my therapist from her background says, oh, you should get more active because once your body starts moving, then your mind's got to focus and it's focused on being healthier and stronger. You'll feel more capable. And a lot of this anxiety will just work itself out through, you know, releasing all this muscle tension that you have built up. So... There is this yoga class that's outside in a Japanese garden by where I live. And that is ideal because one thing I don't like about yoga classes is that you're inside with other people and then I can smell and see them and it's very distracting Mm -hmm. and it adds to my anxiety. But if I'm outside and I can hear birds and water, then it kind of drowns all the other people out. So this past week, I was dealing with some stressful things at work and um, some other good news that I received, which I turned into bad news. <laughs> I wasn't sleeping. So I was, yeah, was, the best news you can give me, I will find a way to turn it into some foreboding, impending doom. So I go to the yoga class and someone meets me at the gate, which is closed. And she says, are you Jade? And they go, am I the only one signed up today? She goes, yes, come on in. And I said, no. (laughs) Because then what happens if it's just me one-on-one in this big, beautiful garden with one other person teaching me is that I start to serve her feelings more than my needs. And so everything she says, I'm like, yes, that sounds great. (laughs) Namaste. And so I'm like yelling across this garden to her to make sure she feels okay. Because I know as a teacher, if you have one person in the room, you're going to feel like a failure. (laughs) So I was like overcompensating and having a hard time relaxing and doing all that. So that was a little hard, but I'm going to try to keep doing that. Because I also found out that I have a degenerative issue with the uh, how do they call it the cartilage behind my knees 
So I can't, like doctor's orders, I can't do any kind of physical thing outside of yoga or walking or swimming, but that's fucking gross. So. <sighs> well, I'm so glad you're doing yoga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, they say like, oh yeah, this Asian like ancestral stuff is like getting in touch with I my ancestors would be like, Oh honey, you fell far from this tree. Like you don't mm-hmm. get it. And I honestly don't think my ancestors were good Asians. I don't think they were like doing I don't know what a good Asian is. I've yeah. never met one. <laughs> Mindful stuff. <laughs> I always love it when you meet people who they find out you're Asian and they have all these assumptions about like, oh, you guys are like so healthy and like eat all this like healthy stuff and are into serenity and zen. And I'm like, fuck no, like my people are ready to fight. (laughs) There's no peace running through my blood. (laughs) If your ancestors knew that you were going to therapy today, how do you think they'd feel about it? I don't think they would approve um because like i what was it i think it was from beef and it was like western medicine doesn't work on eastern minds Uh you know and so i always think of that yeah because i'm very much whitewashed and americanized you know but even then my parents like growing up they were never they were like what you don't need that like we give you everything <laughs> like you're loved you're fine yeah um but my parents need it you know and now they are half of them are going or they're being more susceptible to therapy and all of that but no one else you know like all the families like my grandma grandparents um aunts uncles they still are just like no thank you why would we do that that seems ridiculous that seems very self-serving <laughs> yeah. and so I, like i, I understand re- that but mm-hmm. i read something recently that talked about how ptsd and even complex ptsd is still conceived of within the system of white supremacy that thinks of time as linear and that the brain processes things in a post way and all that stuff. And that makes a lot of sense. And so people who have been, you know, colonized or subjected to racism and feeling other, it makes sense that you wouldn't want to sign up for something where someone is going to tell you who you are and what you need to do and how to do things. So I think that, is compounding the difficulties of therapy for people like us who come from certain backgrounds. Um, I think my ancestors would really just laugh at it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I mean, could make me feel stupid for doing it. But also sometimes when I think of my grandma laughing at me for doing certain things or like getting stressed over an email at work, hearing her laugh in my head gives me a little bit of perspective. Mm-hmm. It's just her way of saying, that is not something you should be worried about. So to kind of take a step back and let certain things go and pick your battles. So, but yeah, I think most of my ancestors would be like, why are you doing that? And you have food on your table. What else do you need? What else could you ask for? It feels like a very privileged thing to pay someone to listen to your, your feelings. 
It is for sure. I mean, I think that was the attitude I had too. I thought like, you know, therapy is for those who've been through something that like really need Mm -hmm. to like work it out. And it's, you know, they can't live without working that out, you know, but I think everyone benefits from it. Everyone needs an outside perspective. Yeah. And And that's what it is. Like, it's not like I entered therapy, like with nothing happening at all like I was completely fine you know Mm -hmm. but I'm still able to delve into things that I haven't been able to do myself yeah and it's okay to trust yourself to not take in that outside perspective if it doesn't work for Mm -hmm. you I mean obviously therapists will bring up some things that are hard to hear and I'm not saying shut it down and like quit Mm -hmm. seeing them if they do that Because I think being uncomfortable is a good learning experience. But also, too, if you disagree with your therapist after you've had time to think about it, that's okay. It doesn't take away from who you are. And you can tell your therapist, like, I don't want to do it this way. Can we try it this way? So I think, um, you know, you can still have agency in that context. And you're paying for it, too. Mm -hmm. Which is crazy how much we have to pay for therapy even if you have insurance um I just think of all the thousands of dollars I have spent and everyone's like oh you should think of it as an investment I'm bullshit I spent that money it's not an investment <laughs> my trauma will still be there um but I always think of god what could I have spent that money on that maybe would have been more healing like I could have gone to Greece or something <laughs> So if you could get all your therapy money back, mm-hmm. what would you spend it on? Um, and I looked up the prices for cocaine in this year and the DEA. Oh, yeah. How, how much between, is it? Good cocaine between 160 and 200 a gram in California. So just keep that in mind when you answer. Okay. That's that's very helpful information. Um, <laughs> I'll definitely keep it in mind. Have you ever done cocaine? No. I'm a scared little girl. I really don't do anything. Yeah, I'm I'm very scared of brain damage. I don't know why. This brain is not giving me much to work with, but I'm really worried about something going straight to my brain. Oh my god, I knew this guy. He was actually this sibling of someone I knew a long time ago and did so much cocaine that the cartilage in the middle of his nose rotted out. So he literally didn't have um this was a septum or whatever. Oh my god. Isn't that horrifying? That's terrible. So I always think that the worst case scenario can and will happen to me. Mm-hmm. You have but to anyway. think of the worst case. Yeah, I haven't done cocaine either, but it sounds like a lot of fun and it sounds like something I would love to get addicted to. Anyway, what would you spend your money on? <laughs> Mushrooms? <laughs> no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Probably take a trip. I've been like itching to go somewhere, like an all-inclusive stay. Ooh. Really live my white lotus dream. Mm. Have a little murder mystery. Just be one of the side characters. That's my fantasy right now. To be a side character. Yes. Because I just like want to be included. Like I don't want to be the main event. I just want to be like, oh yeah. I was there. <laughs> you know, 
is a little stressful. Like enjoy my vacation that I paid for. Yeah. yeah. But have a little bit of excitement. Yeah, just to be a bystander. It's because yeah. it's stressful to be a main character and dealing with all no that. No one stuff. wants to be a main character nowadays. I'm over it. Is that what White Lotus is about? It's a murder mystery? Yeah. Oh. I watched one episode and I was like, I can't handle it. It's something so about, good. Something about rich people makes me very angry and I can't get past it. Like, White Lotus, Succession, it's just very nauseating to me mm-hmm. to see white people. Or not, not white people. <laughs> there's a common denominator (laughs) i don't think i need to even say what i was going to correct myself to say that's that's enough (laughs) um so i was um speaking of white people so you know how with audiobooks and stuff, there's always uh, a very sort of white voice that narrates it. Mm-hmm. Well, now with AI, one of the the pros of AI is that you can get different voices to read you stuff. Mm-hmm. And Snoop Dogg is very <laughs> omnipresent in logical devices. Like you can have Snoop Dogg say anything to you, which is awesome. But I was wondering if you could have your therapy session in the voice of any hip-hop artist or anybody famous, really. Whose voice would you choose? I feel like I would love Snoop Dogg, but I feel like it would be very distracting and nothing would get done. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be laughing. Um... That's such a hard one. I don't. I would want someone that would be just like a little aggressive and a little bit mean. Um, you know, because then it would be like, okay, because like, I respond to that. That's what yeah. I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it when people yell at me. Okay, so I feel my calmest when someone is yelling in my face. Like It feels. <laughs> So good. <laughs> it's the passive aggressive stuff. It is the passive aggressiveness. Really crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. I'm very suspicious of people that are just nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and that just are always positive. Mm-hmm. You know, toxic. Like... <laughs> well, along those lines, I kind of think that ludicrous would be a good voice. <laughs> Because if you listen to his music, it's a little bit aggressive, but then he's just this little guy and right. you know, he's like reading Llama Llama Red Pajama. And you know he's nice inside, but he comes off like he's yelling at you and he's just going to like smack you around and yeah, <laughs> I'm there for exciting. it. That's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, I just liked... <laughs> Luna! <laughs> I just like when someone's just a little bit aggressive. And a little bit like mean to me. Mm, that's probably why we get along so well. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I also I so I read uh, last year this book called Radical Love by the actor Zachary Levi, who people probably know most from. He is the voice of Flynn Rider in Tangled. <gasps> Did you grow up with that movie? Oh my god, I love Tangled so much. It was a good movie, right? So he's the voice of that. So his book, 
my husband recommended it to me because he's like, oh, this guy was talking about his childhood experiences on this podcast, and it sounds just like a lot of the issues. And I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> rich Hollywood white boy actor has my background. <laughs> totally trauma twin. Like, no way. So much of the same stuff that happened to me happened to him, which helped me a lot to untangle, like, the cultural stuff from the trauma. Because I'm like, if a white boy, like, a Christian white boy who is a famous actor had that stuff, that's clearly not Vietnamese culture. And I had conflated the two growing up. So it was very healing and helpful for me to read that book. But And then I listened to it on audiobook, too, just to, like, hear it and cement things a little more because like I said I'm a slow learner so I have to go over things three four times before it actually makes sense in my head but I think maybe his voice would be good for therapy because he's got a smoker's voice mm. and it sounds like Flynn Rider so it's a little charming a little like a vagabond Love you know mm-hmm. you can steal my crown you just always have the best ideas and thoughts I think about very useless things. They're very useful. <laughs> You're lying to me. <laughs> I realize, like, even though I overthink a lot, I think about nothing at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a very fine line between those two yeah. things. Because I've been noticing I, like, dissociate a lot. Mm-hmm. And people were just like, what were you thinking about just now? And I was like, literally nothing is going on in this brain <laughs> right now. It's like so hard to put thoughts together mm-hmm. for some reason. But at the same time, like when I'm conscious and doing things, it's just like a all of this. But when I'm still and silent, I think of nothing. Do you find that sometimes when you're quiet and people ask you, oh, what are you thinking about or penny for your thoughts? And if you actually try to verbalize what you're thinking about, it sounds insane. Yeah. I have that all the time. You know what I've... Okay, I have a question for you. The more I read or see, and I'm not reading anything in depth. So this is just me skimming the surface of a very complex issue, which is what we should talk about, you know, things we don't know anything about. But the more I read about neurodivergence, especially things like ADHD or autism, the more I'm like, wait, is this me? Am I just like undiagnosed? Because some of my thought patterns is identical to what they're describing. And there's a woman on one of the recent seasons of 90 Day Fiance who's been very open about talking about her autism. Mm -hmm. And she's defining it in these moments of this relationship of, and she gets very overwhelmed in public social settings and the sensory overload causes her to shut down. She's, uh, you know, unable to express herself to her partner because she's so worried. And like all the things that she describes, I'm like, oh, well, that's me. And she's describing this as a symptoms of her autism. Mm -hmm. And so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then I don't want to be like. Oh, well, I identify with this. I don't want to, like, you know, co-op something that I don't fully understand. But it feels like the more I learn about it, the more I'm thinking, 
maybe is this part of why I'm struggling in this way is because my brain is just wired in a special way. I can see that. Who knows? Did you say you could see that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I gotta ask my therapist. I've asked her so many times. I'm like, do you think I'm bipolar? Do you think I'm schizophrenic? Because... <laughs> I think maybe that's a, um, me looking for answers. Yeah. Why my and brain sometimes works. Sometimes there is no answer. Oh, great. Not everything is easily explained. Hmm. Or defined. If anybody listening to us, if there is anyone listening to us, what advice would you give them if they're considering starting therapy? Or if someone they know is starting therapy and they want to support that person, what would you advise them to do? Um, you literally just talk about yourself. Like, and who doesn't want, who doesn't love that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Great advice, Laura. <laughs> like, just do it. Like, I'm having do so it. much fun. <laughs> Like, you get to learn more about yourself, and who doesn't want that? Like, and it's such a, you're talking to a stranger. Of course, it's uncomfortable at first. Like, she made me cry my first session. I was like, I don't even know you like that. Like, (laughs) 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 but there's something so freeing about being able to talk to someone you have no connection with, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, tell that one person something you have never told anyone and maybe have never even told yourself and then to like not see them again (laughs) you know like that's just so freeing and like you can't even express that with people you really are close with you know and so you need an outlet somewhere yeah if it's not coming out in this way in like a healthier way then it's seeping out into something that's probably negative or something that's detrimental to you or to others yeah that's a good point releasing that steam it's a way to take care of the people that you love too because inevitably that's going to boil over in some way so by spending an hour with this stranger who is actually trained to deal with your shit yeah then you might be saving months if not years of pain in relationships with maybe people you're not meant to be with or people that you're bonding through trauma instead of something valid and strong so it's not just an investment in yourself but mm-hmm. all the people that you love too and i would say <laughs> if you know someone who's going to therapy don't do the bad joke that I did earlier or like, Allura, what did you say about me in therapy? <laughs> Never ask someone in therapy, what did you talk about? Or are you talking about me? Is this about me? Mm-hmm. Let that person have their space and respect that they're using it to strengthen themselves and not to talk shit on you or to do anything bad. And even though it doesn't seem in line with some of our cultures, that it can just continue generations of um, 
unhealthiness and abuse and systems of trauma that we've learned to accept as part of our culture, but don't need to be. Like our culture should be something empowering that brings us together, not is used to justify abuse and unhealthy power dynamics in the name of quote unquote culture. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Thanks. I love you. I love you. Don't unfollow me on Instagram ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all we have <laughs> for you today. That ended on a really uncomfortable note. I'm perfect. That was a lot for me. Um, follow us on our Instagram. Go find you a therapist if you want to. Um, and make good choices. And I hope you heal. Fine. That'll be $200. Okay. I'll send you a check. <laughs>